0: You're listening to XVGM Radio. vgm radio where the bits keep coming i'm mike and i'm justin and this is episode 73 zelda handhelds i'm excited for this one how about you justin
1: Oh heck yeah! We we occasionally we touch on on some popular things, but Zelda is something that I have a kind of a weird relationship with. Uh, it, it's not my favorite series. I don't hate it by any means, but like so, some games I, I enjoyed and, and just blew through, and some games I just I put down after like just uh, a couple of hours. Hmm. So I'm excited to focus on the handheld version of uh, Zelda because I think that's actually where most of my Zelda experience lies.
0: I, you know, started with the very first Zelda back in the late 80s, uh, like most of us who are listening to this show. Not all, but most, or some. I really loved the top-down aspect of the Zelda games, and most of the handheld games continued that legacy long after, you know, the, the 3D sprawling massive adventures uh, from games like Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess... Skyward Sword, Wind Waker, etc., etc. I'm kind of with you on Zelda. I have also kind of had a odd relationship with it. I loved it back in the day. It was one of my favorite series. But over time, I kind of felt like the series grew stale for me. And I probably leaned more towards these types of games the handheld adventures because they felt more in line with the classic games that i used to play that i loved so before we get into the discussion on the first game that we came in on we wanted to quickly mention a new tier uh regarding our patreon so we try not to mention our patreon too much we don't like beating people over the heads with it or anything we usually just leave it in the notes and leave it for end discussion at the uh, very end of the episode but uh we're doing something a little new this time around with patreon and we wanted to showcase it because we really think people might be interested in it so justin why don't you uh why don't you fill the good people in on what we're doing
1: yeah, so, you know, we are living in unprecedented times, as many emails and commercials on TV like to tell us, and with that, uh, we kind of had the realization that people may not have as much time as they used to to listen to podcasts that they enjoy. Uh, like, my, I myself used to listen to a, a bunch of podcasts either on the way to work or, uh, you know, once a month I would be driving long distance, and, like, podcasts are my jam when driving long distances because they, they fill the void in my head. Uh, right. <laughs> so, because people are potentially not traveling as much and spending you know more time in, uh, we realize that people may want a sort of a quicker experience, you know, the XVGM radio without all of the you know back and forth and discussion, you know, let's get to the music, talk about what we're playing and move on. So, right. so we're introducing a new tier on Patreon, $7 a month, uh, gets you access to everything below the $7 tier, uh, but specifically on that tier, we are doing... What we call XVGM Light. Uh, so we are gonna basically play the music uh, Tell you what you heard Introduce the next song, play it lather, rinse, repeat. So you get to the, uh, get to the important stuff without as much of the discussion. Uh, and then you can listen, enjoy and be on your way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And this is going to be included with your Patreon membership for the $7 tier. In addition to that, if you do sign up for it, if you're not a patron or if you're just like a dollar patron or something like that, you'll be entered into the rotation for picking a track for a mainline episode Uh, which is normally part of the $5 tier. Uh, But not only that, if you're not a Patreon member, you'll be able to get access to live episodes as well. That's a dollar and up tier feature. So anybody that donates gets to access our live shows. We put them every single month on the Patreon. They are exclusive to that. They do not come as you see with the uh, normal RSS feed. So... Yeah, you get a good bang for your buck and now you're getting this additional feature for the $7 tier where we, you know, we basically give you like a light version of the show. It'll be delivered within 24 hours of these shows release we will mention this again next episode as a a final like hey just so you know this thing exists just in case you didn't know but after that we're not going to mention it again just because you know we we prefer to uh let you guys explore that sort of stuff on your own and we really just don't like talking about this sort of stuff like now we we prefer to leave it for the end of the episode
1: yeah we we just don't want to beat people over the head with um with with requests to become patrons like if you want to become a patron we completely optional
0: yeah we, we we appreciate the
1: support if not we appreciate that you enjoy the show mm-hmm.
0: absolutely that's number one uh the track that we came in on was actually uh, Justin suggested it and it's a great suggestion I think it uh it <laughs> works really well uh, it was from The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons the Game Boy Color release that came out in 2001. the track was the title screen music and that was by Kyoko Nakamura and Minako Adachi so uh, great great way to introduce it with that classic. Zelda title screen music.
1: Yeah, no, I, I thought I thought it was appropriate. A lot of these games, I mean, every Zelda game has that Zelda theme somewhere in there. Some are more pronounced than others, but with this one, I mean, Oracle of Seasons, to be honest, I don't remember if I had ages or seasons, but when this came out, I was in my senior high school and like I, I snatched it up and I'm pretty sure I beat it. I cannot remember. There's a lot of Zelda games that I have left unbeaten, unfortunately. Yes. But Oracle of Seasons was a lot of fun and I think... Yeah, it wasn't the first Zelda handheld that I played, but it was definitely one of the ones that left a like a lasting memory of just a lot of fun and a really interesting story that uh, that that was not what I was expecting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, this was a great way to introduce the track. It's a very heroic, but also very polka esque. It, it, it it's like a polka take a little bit on the uh, on the Oracle of Seasons on on the main theme. You know, it's got that kind of uh, bounce to it, uh, which I, I really liked. So we're actually just going to talk about the composers and then we're going to move on to our next track because it relates to Oracle of Seasons and we'll get a chance to talk about both games together in that break. So Kyoko Nakamura started off with this game with uh, Oracle of Seasons as well as Oracle of Ages in 2001. Their next game was Yggdra Union. I think that's how you pronounce it. We'll Never Fight Alone. That came out in 2006. So a bit of a five-year gap. Then after that, another big gap didn't have music until Summon Night 5 in 2013, and their final game, Monster Manor, in 2013.
1: So, Midako Adachi started out a little earlier in 1996 doing music on Robo Pit. They have a lot of music composition on here. 2000, International Soccer Excite Stage 2000, obviously the uh, Oracle of Ages and Season games. Summon Night Swordcraft Story in 2003, jumping up a little bit. They worked on some Pokemon games, Pokemon Black, White, both 1 and 2, so 2010 and 2012. They worked on those. Uh, and then they kind of stuck with Pokemon from that point because uh, I see X, Y, Omega Ruby, Alpha Sapphire, all the way up to Pokemon Sword in 2019. That's their last uh, credit.
0: They did also work on Summon Night 5 as well, uh, so they, oh. they re-paired up yes. with, uh, uh, with Kyoko. So Mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. And Yggdra Union, I Will Never Fight Alone as well. Yes, yes. All right, let's move into the next pick. This is Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages, and it came out again on the Game Boy Color in 2001. Same composers as we just mentioned, so we won't mention it uh, again other than just saying Kyoko Nakamura and Minako Adachi. This track is Level 4 Skull Dungeon. back. That was Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages that came out in the Game Boy Color in 2001. The track was Level 4 Skull Dungeon by Kyoko Nakamura and Minako Adachi. Uh, we just learned something interesting about those two. They were in the same Japanese music and sound effect production company, which was called Pure Sound. So that is the reason why they uh, they generally worked together in a, with, with a lot of games. What do you think of this track? Uh,
2: it
1: was different. So I realized as we were listening, um, I looked a couple of things up and realized that I owned Oracle of Seasons when, uh, when I was in high school, and I did not play Oracle of Ages. Not that that matters a whole lot for the music and, and everything else, but mm. I don't remember this song, so I, I'm pretty sure there was a difference in music between the two games. Uh, I can't confirm that offhand because I'm not looking at anything, but, um, this just, it doesn't sound familiar and it, I don't know, it's weird because it didn't sound to me at first
0: like a Legend of Zelda song, a particular Legend song. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred (laughs) percent agreed. You know what it sounds like to me? A Gargoyles Quest track.
1: Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's very Capcom-esque and (laughs) it has that really kind of haunting melody that sounds like it came out of a, our Gargoyles Quest game. It's a lot more Baroque-infused than most mm. Zelda music. So yeah, I th- yeah. I, think, I think that is where I'm leaning towards with this track. I don't know if anybody else agrees with, uh, with me on that one. But, <laughs> you know, it's funny. You mentioned that you had Oracle of Seasons when you were a kid. Uh, Or I say kid. We were in high school. Like we were graduating high school in 2001. (laughs) (laughs) So you and I lived in different areas, of course, in the same state. But I grew up with Oracle of Ages Mm -hmm. when when I was buying this game. I was in the store looking at Oracle of Seasons, and I was like, "Eh, I think I'm going to go with the purple one because I like purple more. (laughs) And that was pretty much my deciding factor. Now, of course, I have both. But, like, you, do you realize that, like, if we were friends back then, hmm. that we could have shared? Like, I could have given you Oracle of Ages, let you borrow it, and you could have given me Oracle of Seasons, and, and I could have borrowed it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm trying to remember, because, I, like, I distinctly remember playing this game, uh, like, in the band room, it, like, either before or after uh, after band. Part of me wants to say my friend Kevin from band was, like, had the other one, but I just, I don't have... I don't have the memories of anything <laughs> other than like playing the game like chatting with, with chatting with friends and whatnot Like, it's not like I was yeah. sitting in a corner playing by myself but I I don't right. have any memory of, of doing any of the, any of the link up stuff which was unfortunate because I, I never really got to do any of the, the like the link cable stuff when I when I was younger mm-hmm. like even with Pokemon uh, probably every every so often I think I had a friend who had a link cable but mm-hmm. I just I, I never I, I, I like playing multiplayer stuff and I, I like the idea of the, the link cable. But it, it just I never really had a, n- a lot of opportunities to, to do stuff with it. So
0: right. same here. The games are almost 20 years old. They came out in May of 2001 in North America. so kind of yeah. kind of nuts that it's been that long. It seems like f- just yesterday. Oracle of Ages and seasons are not linked together in regards to story mode meaning. Uh, it's not like you have to play Ages first and uh, then play Seasons, or vice versa. You could play them in any order. They were originally developed as a trilogy, and they were the reason why it sounds like Gargoyles Quest, at least in terms of tone, is because these games were created by Capcom. Hmm. Capcom and Flagship were the developer. Of the game, and uh, you know, they basically worked out a deal with Nintendo to create on multiple Zelda games over uh, for the handhelds for a certain amount of time.
1: Did not realize it was supposed to be a trilogy, so that's that's funny. I, I do find it interesting, uh, and I, I never realized this because I, I never played Ages, but apparently, Oracle of Seasons, like the gameplay in that game, focuses more mm-hmm. on action, and the gameplay in Oracle of Ages focuses more on puzzle solving, which yes. makes me very happy that I got Seasons. Not that I don't like puzzle solving, but At that time period, I was more into action games than puzzle solving games. So if I'd gotten Mm. ages, I probably would have been
0: put off. And, you know, it's funny you mention that because I'm the reverse. I have less time. I have less time on my hands now. So I'm just all about action and puzzles are fine. But like when I was younger, I loved puzzles Mm -hmm. because I loved trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, I had all the time in the world because I was in high school and didn't have a girlfriend. And I was just me and me and my Zelda, me and me and me and my girlfriend, Zelda. (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: Some cool stuff with environmental changes in this game, too, regarding the seasons. It, depending on, like, what you do in the game, like, uh, you know, it'll be either winter or it'll be spring, summer, mm-hmm. summer, yeah, pretty cool, fall, autumn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, regarding the gameplay, if you liked Link's Awakening, the very first Zelda handheld game, this game is modeled after that.
1: That explains why I enjoyed it, because Link's Awakening is one of my favorite Zelda games.
0: So you're in, in different games, you're collecting different things. Uh, the Rod of Seasons or the Harp of Ages. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to get into without uh, diving full-on head <laughs> first into uh, into this, these two great games. Just go play them. They're well worth it.
1: Yeah. So that's actually probably a good place to, to wrap that up, because Genie is telling us that we have a call coming in on the XVGM call to request hotline.
0: All right, Janine, go ahead and send that call on over to us so we can go ahead and find out who the heck is on that line.
1: Yeah, XVGM Radio, you're on the air. Who is this and what can we play for you?
4: Ring, ring. Hello, it's me, Rira. Ask me anything about the island. If you get lost, give me a call. Bye, click.
1: Did Did you just say click?
4: Uh, uh um, uh, how to say Please call outside. Uh. Bring, bring. Hi, it's Ulrura. Have you heard of the flying rooster of Maid Village? You know, in the good old days, he used to give us rides if we held it above our heads. Now it's lying under the weathercock. Is that useful for you, weathercock? I hope so. Bye, click.
0: Uh, What is this guy's deal?
1: I, I... I mean, he—he's Grandpa Olrira, so he. Bring,
4: bring Olrira here. He, yes. When I was just a lad, I recall seeing a high tower in the mountains. You should go there. Is that helpful? For, for, is that helpful for you? Bye, click.
1: Uh, I.
4: Play a song from Link's Awakening. Bye, click. For real, click.
1: Fair enough. Uh, I was wow. just going to say uh, Grandpa Rira is from Link's Awakening, which I just said was one of my favorite or is my favorite Zelda game. So <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's appropriate to uh, to play a song from maybe the Link's Awakening remake. Yeah. The one that just came out recently to, uh, to 2019. So this it uh, came out on the Switch, as I said in 2019. Uh, we'll play Nightmare's boss battle, and this was composed by Ryo Nagamatsu. <laughs> Right, that was The Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening, the remake that came out in the Switch in 2019. The track was Nightmare's Boss Battle, and it was arranged by Rio Nagamatsu. The original was composed by Minako Hamano, Kozue Ishikawa, and Kazumi Totaka. Uh, we'll talk about the original composers a little bit later. Um, we'll talk about Rio in just a bit. But Mike, so I, I know you're you're also playing uh, the, the remake as as I am. Yes. Um, So you've heard this a ton of times, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes,
0: I have. I have. You know, I I generally like this song, and I really like what Ryo Nagamatsu has brought to this soundtrack, just like I liked what he brought to the arrangements of the Link Between Worlds soundtrack, which we'll probably get to. It's a fresh coat of paint on an old track, but it also utilizes a lot of old school chirps and bleeps from the original which I dig. I, I love that there's this kind of meeting of old school meets new school sounds. The percussion in particular, I really enjoyed. Hearing like all, all those little like... Like little tom <laughs> electronic toms. Those are really fun to listen to. I really dig
1: the the, the soundtrack on this game. I, I didn't realize it until more recently that the music... I, I thought the, the music was like recomposed. I didn't realize that, that they had arranged the original tracks, which makes sense. That's usually what happens, but it sounded so fresh to me that I actually had to go back and listen to the original Game Boy Color mm. uh, soundtrack to be reminded, like, yes, this this is the same song. It just sounds way, way better. Like there's so much more on there. But yeah. at the same time, like you said, like, there are still some of those Game Boy, like, kind of crunchy, buzzy sounds underneath and, and occasionally, like, front and center when, like... The, the music kind of cuts out and you have like just one or two instruments going on. Right. That it just makes it so much better than the original like this is super frantic, super intense and the original was kind of intense too but I mean when you're talking about the sounds that the Game Boy and the Game Boy Color can put out, uh, the, you know they're, the hardware is limited although mm. that's no, no dig on on the hardware by any means, because we're gonna get into a lot of other Game Boy and Game Boy Color stuff. And this it sounds fantastic. Yeah. Uh, when when you add like modern production to it, it's just it, just it just blew me away. This is one of the songs that you hear kind of over and over because it's the boss track. Like every boss has this. Like, there's usually another mo- like motif in there um, mm. for the different bosses. Uh, like the eagle, uh, evil eagle has a a, a slightly different version of this song but then if you're doing like with the dungeon creation or you, you come across like a mid boss or something it's mm. it's just like the raw sort of version of this song which is right. uh, really cool
0: Yeah, the game itself I don't really have many complaints about I think it's a pretty fun overall remake of uh, Link's Awakening <laughs> I still prefer Link's Awakening just overall, mostly just for nostalgia purposes, in all honesty. Something I didn't know about the original Link's Awakening, which, which uh, I, I was kind of shocked about, is uh, did you know that the game was inspired and and they wanted it to feel like Twin Peaks, the show?
1: Oh, I did not. I
0: I can see it now
1: that yeah. you say it, but I, I had no idea. I mean, I, I was never into Twin Peaks, so I, I don't know that that ever would have come across my brain.
0: I thought that was pretty interesting. And, I I mean, plot-wise, Link's Awakening is a really interesting idea. What you have is the hero from, you know, the Zelda games, Link, and he is sailing on a ship. The ship gets struck by lightning, and he ends up getting sequestered off to sea. Stranded. Uh, he ends up landing on an island called Kohalint, and uh, he is found by a uh, what I used to think back when I was a kid. I initially thought it was uh, Zelda, but it's not. It's a right, girl right. named Marin. Marin. Yep. Yep. And so Marin kind of nurses him back to health. He uh, learns that there is no way for him to get off the island without freeing this whale like creature called the windfish. Yes. So he's got to gather these eight different musical instruments that will wake the wind fish and allow him to leave the island. Mm -hmm. So cool plot. Gameplay is great. If you like, you know, Link to the Past or the very first Zelda, you'll feel right at home here with this one. The remake, the one thing I wanted to say about the remake is, and this is my biggest complaint, the borders of like everything that's not in the center, like the perimeter, (laughs) it looks like the screen has been smeared with Vaseline. The the way they did the effect for the graphics is like everything around Link is nice and clear, but everything along the borders and the edges is like blurry almost like 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 smudgy blurry. And I don't know why, but. For me personally, it's really distracting.
1: Weird. I did not even notice that. I uh, I'll, I'll have to when when we're done with this uh, this episode. I, I I I plan on picking it back up because I'm in the middle of running through a lot of the the dungeon maker stuff. Nice. Um, but I didn't notice that. I, m- maybe yeah. it just. Maybe it's just my me being unobservant,
0: but sound-wise it's great. Gameplay-wise it's great. It's still, I mean, it it really does feel like a proper remake of oh, the yeah. of the original. Uh, I'm on like I think dungeon four. I think oh, okay. I'm I'm going through like trying to gather up all the different items that I have to like swap around, like you <laughs> know, uh, give the bananas to the to the painter, and then you know oh, give yep. the. Give the note to the girl, and uh, you know we'll we'll talk more about *Link's Awakening* in general yeah. later. Before we jump into the composers, the, w- the one thing that I'll say about the remake that
1: I uh, th- that I enjoyed is they they kind of upped the ante on on a, on a number of things. Mm. Uh, I don't know that the game is harder per se, but there are in the original game there were only I believe 26 secret seashells. In this game there are 50, so there's oh, wow. sort of a, a lot more treasure hunting to do. And then mm. of course there's the addition of the, the the dungeon maker and and all the like side quest stuff that you can do in there. And that's that I. I've been having a lot of fun with that. I'm I'm at the end of the game. Uh, I I have to f- I have to do the eighth dungeon. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm currently taking a break and trying to finish out all of the all of the other stuff that I can. Um,
0: but yeah, don't take a break. Beat <sighs> beat the game. Don't pull don't pull a me. And I'll tell I'll tell you more about that in just a bit. Real quick, Rio Nagamatsu. He has mostly been a Nintendo guy, starting off with Wii Play in 2006, Mario Kart Wii in 2008. Uh, He's just been working for Nintendo. His big break, in my opinion, at least the first time I ever heard of him, was Link Between Worlds in 2013. We'll we'll talk more about him a little later.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so what are you following this up
0: with? I'm going to play you a track from a game that I really like. It's called Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. This came out for the DS in 2009. This track is called Overworld Adventures and it's by Toru Minigishi, Manaka Tominaga, Asuka Ota, and Koji Kondo. Back, thanks for joining us on our Zelda handhelds episode. That track we just listened to was from Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. This came out for the DS in 2009. This track was called Overworld Adventures and it was by Toru Minigishi, Manaka Tominaga, Asuka Ota, and Koji Kondo. What do you think of this one?
1: This so this one is is definitely like a, a traveling type song. It reminds me of like some like Spanish music. Uh, the, yeah. the guitar is almost kind of like Spanish guitar sounding, and it just Flamingo. kind of like, yeah yeah. It just like immediately put me in that mindset, and like as soon as I got there, uh, like all of a sudden uh, because I know because clearly we're talking about Legend of Zelda games. You know, I had Link on Epona, just like riding off and maybe playing, like, strum- strumming the guitar. Um, I mean, he'd probably more likely play the ocarina, but uh, the alternative here is the flute, and it's really hard to play a flute on horseback, so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, the instrumentation was really solid on this. You know, every instrument, con- for the most part, sounded like it should. Mm-hmm. I got a real Final Fantasy element from this as well. It, it sounded like something, like a traveling theme from Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was that, like, kind of creaky, grindy guitar like Spanish guitar kind of sound yeah. that 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 reminded me a lot of like Final Fantasy 3 or Final Fantasy 6 or whatever you want to call it these days. <laughs> that overworld theme like da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, mm. that yeah, song. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of that very like plinky-plucky guitar work there. Spirit Tracks is a cool game. It is uh, definitely a very unique plot. And one thing that I really like about it is It gave me flashbacks to the Zelda cartoon in the sense that Zelda was actually involved in the game. Oh, that's right.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's not just like a, you know, damsel in distress or like a, uh, you know, just kind of sitting around chilling in a tower waiting for Link to fix everything. Like, she's out there with Link.
1: Yeah. Well, Um, this one is
0: a sequel,
1: right? This is a sequel to. Sort of.
0: Yeah, it it follows the adult timeline within the whole Zelda continuity, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to get too involved with the timeline because I know somebody will jump in and be like, actually, so, you know, we'll have a whole Nick Carney thing going on. Yeah,
1: no, for some reason I thought this was a direct (laughs) sequel. Like, um, A Link Between Worlds is is supposed to be a direct sequel to, or a follow-up to... A
0: link to Link's, the past, link to the past, and right? I, right, I
1: thought this was a similar situation, but maybe I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm probably just thinking of something else, so
0: kind of sort of. Yep. So it, it takes place a uh, hundred years after Wind Waker, so it's a different link and a different Zelda, but at the same time, it's the same art style and design of Wind Waker. So it's like, wait, what? Oh, okay, that's what uh, I'm thinking of. Yep. But you are correct in the sense that it is a sequel. It's a direct sequel to Phantom Hourglass, the previous game.
1: That's the one I was thinking of. Okay, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of like Majora's Mask being a sequel to, you know. Ocarina of Time. uh, Ocarina. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Link is going through to become an engineer. Uh, he's about to graduate uh, from the school, uh, taking his final exam. It is being spearheaded by uh, Princess Zelda, the whole thing. And uh, the ceremony ends up getting interrupted by Zelda's chancellor named Cole. And the tracks are, because the tracks are vanishing from the land, Mm -hmm. from the world. The no more tracks. So Zelda's like, yo, Link, what's the deal with this? So Link's got to go investigate Uh, But what ends up happening is Cole ends up getting revealed as the demon. This all happens right in the beginning of the game, so (laughs) I'm not giving too many spoilers out. He ends up uh, revealing himself as a sort of demon that is in servitude to the big bad of this one, Miletus. And uh, he ends up stealing Zelda's body for Miletus to use as his host, which is kind of creepy. Mm. It's kind of like, ugh, because you don't know what's going on there, man. Yeah, it doesn't somebody good, takes yeah. over your body, starts <laughs> messing around with your giblets, you know, like, ugh, get out of my body, dude. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, Uh, He steals Zelda's body, and Zelda is trapped as a spirit. But what's cool about that is Zelda ends up joining you on your adventure. And she could, like, possess suits of armor and fight bad guys with Link. So it's really cool to see Zelda come up as an actual part of the game, even though it's just her spirit. You see her. Like, it's basically like a ghost image of Zelda. She looks the same and everything, and she's just like I don't know, her colors faded or whatever. So yeah, the, this this whole thing is train themed. So you're going on these tracks, you know, on this train, trying to visit new areas and try to take down this Miladus dude, so that way you can get uh, Zelda's body back to her spirit and vice versa. So yeah,
1: anytime I hear that 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 name Miletus all I can think of is
0: Milady. <laughs> yes. Well, that's exactly why you wanted to do it. Maybe Mil- Miletus is like they themselves are kind of trapped in a body that they don't want. So this is their way of, you know, like gussing it up a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. You never know. Hey, it takes all walks of life to, to it, live. It, it takes a village to steal a body. I don't know. So, Toru Minigishi is a longtime Nintendo composer. Did a lot of stuff with Pokemon, but uh, also did uh, a lot of, like, the side Mario games, like Mario's Power Tennis in 2004. Hmm. His first game was Pocket Monster Stadium, or Pokemon Stadium, in 1998. And uh, they did music support on Zelda Majora's Mask. They worked on the Wind Waker soundtrack. Uh, just basically a, a, a prominent presence in Nintendo's world. Uh, the last game that they worked on was Super Mario Maker 2 in 2019, where they're credited for the music. Monaka Tominaga only has three games to their name Wii Fit, Animal Crossing City Folk, and this game. Asuka Ota also has a pretty short list, uh, starting off with Zelda Four Swords Adventures in 2004. Uh, that's the GameCube uh, game where you need a Game Boy handheld we didn't i don't think we fit that game into not four swords adventures anyways because that was a console game right that was based off of the game boy advance game but uh you need four game boys to play it <laughs> so i don't know yoshi touch and go in 2005 new super mario brothers in 2006 zelda twilight princess in 2006 as well worked on smash brothers brawl in 2008 their final game was this game spirit tracks in 2009 final composer koji kondo we don't need to talk about you know who koji kondo is
1: we, we, we have talked at length about Koji Kondo.
0: Yes, yes. Go, uh, if you are a Patreon member, go listen to February's episode because we did an entire episode uh, mainly devoted to Koji Kondo. It was all Bowser-based <laughs> yeah. music. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh. All right. Good times. Yeah. So let's move into the next pick, which is mine here. This one is is a standout among the rest. <laughs> this, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> this is Freshly Picked Tingles, Rosy Rupeyland. This came out uh, on the Nintendo DS in 2006. The track is BGM 127, and it was composed by Masanori Adachi. back that was BGM 127 from freshly picked tingles rosy rupee land the 2006 Nintendo DS release composed by Masanori Adachi (sighs) a quick point of reference about this game we didn't get it here in America this was released in Japan and Europe but thankfully it stayed off of American shores yes Um, I I say that because apparently Mike agrees with me I do not like the character yes Um, I felt like it was appropriate to include this in in the episode, partly because the music's not actually that bad, but also because Tingle is an unfortunate part of the Zelda story. But yeah, we can get into that in a bit.
4: <laughs> an <laughs> unfortunate part. <laughs> I
1: I just I find him creepy. Like I don't I don't really have a problem with like anything the character does per se but he just he's just creepy to me like he yeah. he doesn't look like any of the other characters really like he doesn't look like he belongs in the world or at least in the games that I've played I was doing a little bit of reading I did not realize Tingle was introduced in Majora's Mask so yes. I did not play Majora's Mask so maybe he fits in 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 that world but like I met the first first game that I met him in was Minish Cap oh and and I just, like, him and all of his siblings, just, I did not like, I did not, I just didn't like him. It, it's, it's as simple as that.
0: I absolutely loathe Tingle. I think he is one <laughs> of the worst characters. Like, right up there with Kitty Kong from Donkey Ooh. Kong Country 3. I, <laughs> he is one of those kinds of characters where Nintendo is like, you get it, right? Like, come on, you want to see more of this guy? You love him. And I'm like, no. No. I hate this character. He's so obnoxious. Every time he showed up in Majora's Mask, ooh, Kooluluampa, hi, uh, uh, you know, I'm annoying. Like, I just wanted to kick him in the face every time I saw him.
1: <laughs> okay, so even in, even in his, in his first introduction, he was oh, he you know,
0: was, he was just horrendous. <laughs> he was so out of place even in Majora's Mask, and Majora's Mask is such a weird game. Mm. So for me to be saying that, like, he's creepy, but like, he's also just like forced. Fed like shoved down to Zelda fans throats and like some people like him I don't know why but like I think Japanese audiences probably enjoy him more because it is just one of those things that just didn't translate well to North Americans I think
1: yeah, I, I never really thought about it that way, but I I, I think you're right. I again, I, I don't know much about Tingle. I I, I largely ignored him in as, as much as I could in any yeah. of the games that he showed up in. That's a good plan. I mean, yeah, they're, they're in Minish Cap. You you really can't ignore him or his siblings because they they do certain things for you. Hmm. But in in any any time that I that I that I've seen him, like I'll I ch- I should try to get his stuff out of the way so that I don't have to deal with him. Right. I, right. I I, yeah, so I,
0: weird. I haven't played Breath of the Wild, but I assume that he's not in it i hope oh, i hope he's not i uh, i hope he's not yeah I, I i mean like that might be the the turning point reason for me to play breath of the wild uh, is if uh, <laughs> is if tingle's not in it because like if i boot up another zelda game and i see tingle i'm gonna lose it man just
1: oh he's so awful <laughs> yeah i was very glad that they did not insert him into the remake of um uh uh, Link's Awakening Link's Awakening Yeah Yeah,
0: yeah. Well he wouldn't it, fit yeah. He wouldn't fit And there'd be no reason To put him in You
1: know that didn't stop them From putting him in Any other game True True <laughs> Alright we're, we're We're spending a lot of time Talking about something That we don't like And that's uh, mm-hmm. the, the, That's gonna get about as old As having to deal with tingles. So I'm yes. gonna, I'm going to move on. This game is a... It, it is not directly a Zelda game. Uh, it is related to the Zelda games and it is a, a handheld. So like I said, I, I felt like it should be represented in here sure. despite anything else. <laughs> the idea of this game is that you're continually trying to build up a tower that's under a uh, a, a spring that's nearby Tingle's house. Uh, and to do this, you have to feed rupees into the tower. So it, it's, it's really just, you know, about going out and finding as much money as you can. Mm. There, There's some, like, Legend of Zelda-style dungeon adventuring with puzzle elements, so like the the link is still there. <laughs> that was ah. an intended pun. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, but the, the link to the Zelda series is, is still there, but mm. it's, it's more about, you know, getting getting money and building up this tower to uh, I, I i can't even understand what why you're building up the tower so it's, it's <laughs> just it's just what he wants to do
0: what why couldn't they make a game about kiki the monkey i loved kiki the monkey and zelda <laughs> link to the past what like adorable uh, character oh it's a monkey that wants to steal your rupees oh that's adorable let's make him into a fun character they they, they did give
1: him his own series it's called super monkey ball
0: <sighs> all right Moving on, tell me (laughs) about the composer.
1: Yes, so Masanori Adachi has a number of... of Interesting things uh, on their resume. Started out in 1987 doing Russian attack uh, music, uh, and then went on to do Aliens in 1990, Contra Three: The Alien Wars in 92, Rocket Knight Adventures in 93. He's
0: a pretty famous Konami composer.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say like there's there's a lot of really kind of big Konami pieces on here. (laughs) Moving up to some of the more recent stuff, they they haven't done anything in a while.
0: All right, let's move into our next pick, and that is my pick. This is Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. So getting back to the very first Zelda handheld. This game came out on the Game Boy in 1993 and the Game Boy Color in 1998. This is a very memorable track for me. This is Mabe Village and again by Minako Hamano, Kozue Ishikawa, and Kazumi Totaka.
3: To XVGM
0: Radio. Welcome back. That track that we just heard was from the original Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening, which came out in the Game Boy in 1993. Also came out on the Game Boy Color in 1998, and a colorized version called Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening DX. Yes. Yes, that, that
1: was the version that I had. I don't same. I don't think I ever played the original on the Game Boy. To be fair, I, I didn't have a lot of games on the Game Boy when I had a Game Boy because I got it really late. And then when the Game Boy Color came out, I got that. But and yeah, no, this was like I said, aside from being my favorite Zelda game, this was one of the first Zelda games that I really like enjoyed and played all the way through. the The original mm. Legend of Zelda on the NES I did not beat until 2006 when I got (laughs) it on the Wii as a
0: virtual console title. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like this is a good spot to talk a little bit about our nostalgia. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm glad you kind of opened up with that because, you know, we're going to be hearing quite a bit from this game. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like we already touched on a little little bit of it already. I have a kind of a personal story regarding this game and regarding just Game Boy in general. So, when I was a kid, I didn't have a Game Boy, but I loved the original Game Boy when they started coming out with like the different colors and they advertised <laughs> them as condiments. Yes. So, red was ketchup, et cetera, et cetera. So, I really wanted the Relish Game Boy because I'm green's my favorite color. So, I, for whatever reason, talked my grandmother into getting it for me, and she did, she got it for me. But I felt really bad about it because, like, I didn't do anything, like, wrong to get it. I I just felt bad trying to convince my grandmother who really didn't have, like, a ton of money. I mean, you know, she wasn't, like, a millionaire or anything. She was doing okay for herself. But, like, she didn't have a lot of money. You know, she lived in an apartment and just didn't have a ton of cash. But she bought it for me anyways. And I felt so guilty about it that I felt so bad, like, I cried the whole way home. And ended up convincing my parents to take me back and return it. And I gave the money back. And I was just like, I'm just not ready for this. I don't I don't want it. Like, if I'm going to get it, either I'll make my parents <laughs> get it for me because I was a kid. Yeah. Or I just won't get it. So years and years passed down the road. And I see all these great Game Boy games coming out. And I'm just like, oh, man, I really want a Game Boy. And then they announced the – I was in high school at the time when the Game Boy Color got announced. I saw the Game Boy Color and I saw Link's Awakening DX, and that was Link's Awakening was one of the games that I really, really wanted. I never got to play it, so I was like, I have to get this. So again, like, kind of was like talking to my mom and was like, "Hey, mom, now I can bug you." And I'm older, <laughs> and I don't feel so bad. So cough it up, mom. No, I, it was like a birthday present or something. So I got the purple. Game Boy Color, and the very first game that I got was Link's Awakening DX, and fell completely head over heels in love with it. Loved Link's Awakening DX. Really fun, phenomenal game from start to finish. Very charming. This song in particular really means a lot to me, because I remember going through it, and just really identifying with the world and atmosphere of everything. And the script was really funny and really mm. well-written because you'd run into, like, these little kid Kids, characters. Yes, and I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, and they'd be like, I'm just a kid. Like, like
1: here's here's some information that might be semi-helpful. But what do I know? I'm just a kid.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man, that, that made me crack up. Yeah. Just so many... So many fun, warm memories from playing Link's Awakening DX. So, like, you know, it's nice to sometimes reflect on that sort of stuff and be like, you know, appreciate where you came from, not only with your family and your roots and everything, but also like gaming in general. It's nice to revisit and think about those nostalgic moments. So thanks for taking that trip with me. (laughs) All right. We'll uh, we'll tackle the composers in another break. Let's move on to your next pick.
1: Yeah, alright, so this is going to be the Game Boy Advance release from 2002 This is Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past slash Four Swords The track is Sea of Trees and it was composed by Yuko Takehara Welcome back to our Legend of Zelda handheld extravaganza. That was Sea of Trees from the 2002 Game Boy game Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past slash Four Swords. And the composer on that was Yuko Takehara.
0: I got a weird, creepy-crawly, kind of oboe-infused vibe from this one.
1: Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Yeah, I, um spent the last five minutes while we were in the break trying to find the song that part of this song reminded me of, and that was more time that I should have spent, but there, there is a, a very brief chord progression or riff that reminds me a lot of Nine Inch Nails somewhat damaged, and it's just like do-do-do-do, do-do-do-do do-do-do-do, and it's like you can almost say it's like the Adams Family theme, yeah, uh, sort of. But I mean, it doesn't exactly translate into the song, but it's just kind of the vibe that I was getting there. So like similar, like
0: creepy type stuff. I remember I got this game because I wanted Link to the Past portable. That was it. <laughs> I didn't care about the four swords part because I didn't have four friends who had Game Boy Advances. Like people forget that not everybody had that, and like when we did, we had no way to play. Because, I I mean, me personally, I didn't know four people or three people that owned Game Boy Advances. Like, I wasn't antisocial, but I was like an introverted extrovert. Mm -hmm.
1: No, I get you. I mean, I, I had a number of friends that I hung out with on a regular basis, but we all did not have the same access to stuff. I think all of my friends have been pretty big fans of video games throughout the years, Mm -hmm. but, like, just the interests were all over the place. Like, some friends were more into, like, GTA and PS2 games. Not everybody was really into the handheld stuff, so it was like... I think I had one friend from home who had
0: this game and a Game Boy Advance, Mm. but I didn't. Yeah, (laughs) So I, I was
1: the one screwing it up here.
0: Yeah, I was in college as well, and this was right around the time when, like... Everybody was pretty much console gaming at that point. Like handheld gaming wasn't really as big as it is now. Yes, handheld stuff was selling, but it was mostly selling to younger kids and people my age weren't walking around with Game Boys. You know what I mean? Like we were busy college kids doing college things. The Link to the Past was the main draw for this portable Link to the Past, and it was good portable Four Swords. I never really had that much experience with. I may have played it once with one other person if i recall but the game doesn't make it mandatory for you to be able to play it you have to play with three other people but it makes it way more fun to be able to do it because otherwise you're just controlling green link and three ghost links and that's just kind of no fun but this this track is definitely from the four swords portion of the uh, the two games so a, a neat little experiment that Nintendo tried to do with their gimmicks, but I don't know. That one never drew me in.
1: Yeah, uh, a game that we are not touching on in this episode, so we might as well kind of like call it out, uh, was the Triforce Heroes, which yeah. kind of did the same thing, except instead of needing four people, you needed a total of three people. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I mean, I'm not sure about your experiences with that game, but mine were fairly similar to what you just said. Like, it just, it wasn't really what I was looking for.
0: I'm not a fan of single player Games that try to force multiplayer by just having you play as a different palette colored character. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's cheap design and like make me care about the character that I'm going to be stuck with. Because otherwise it's just like, oh, I'm the real Link and you're the purple Link. Like <laughs> you're the inferior weird cousin Link. So that was kind of my commentary on the whole four swords things. Tell me about the composer.
1: So, uh, Yuko Takahara, I feel like we have talked about them on this show a handful of times. They started out doing sound composition on Mighty Final Fight in 1993, Mm -hmm. and then moved into music composition in the Mega Man X games with Mega Man X in 1993 as well. 1996, they did X-Men vs. Street Fighter, fantastic game. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in 1998, music composition. uh, And their most recent contributions to the world of video game music, were 2007's Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. And then in 2010, uh, they did some music composition for Mega Man 10.
0: Yes, basically a longtime Capcom composer. Again, this was one of those four or five games that Capcom developed with Mm. Nintendo for the Zelda franchise. Right, right. Yeah. Looks like we're getting a call on our Patreon request hotline. We should definitely go ahead and pick that call up. Uh, Janine, you want to uh, go ahead and send that on over? Caller, you are on the air with XVGM Radio. Who are you and what can we play for you?
2: Well, hello there. Justin and Mike. Now, I'm going to take a kind of a change of pace here. Normally I come into the XVGM realm particularly the Discord to joke around and troll Mike a bit about my thoughts on Mega Man 3 or just post a whole bunch of emotes and kek w's in particular just uh, to give everybody a hard time and troll a bit but this time we're going to get a little bit more real as we talk about one of my favorite games of all time and one of my favorite and most meaningful pieces of music that i would probably show anyone when i think of what VGM is capable of and that's the vase shrine from *Links awakening there's something about this track in terms of just how melancholic it is. It's very dark. It feels distant, but it also is just loud, and it's inescapable. And you get just sucked into this realm, and it's at this like fulcrum point within the story, and everything about this song in conjunction with the level and the narrative change within the game It's just so such a heavy moment and it's a song that i find myself constantly humming so it would be something that would mean a lot to me to be able to hear this song and hope that other people get that same sense of passion that i do from this track and don't worry i'll go back to to non-serious dan in the very near future but this is this is a from the heart moment so i hope you enjoy
0: uh that's that's great who are you again Jeez. I mean, he didn't say his name at the beginning, but you know, that's okay because we all know it's Dan Lawton, who was our oh, yeah. guest on the episode forty-seven, where we talked about Falcyon and Crisis Force, the split EP episode that we did with him. So, Dan, we'd love to play your Face Shrine track, but we're gonna play a Mega Man 3 track instead, because it's the best Mega Man uh no, I'm kidding. Uh, we'll play Face Dang. Shrine. So, Face Shrine for Mr. Dan Lawton. That was off of the Zelda Link's Awakening Game Boy and Game Boy Color released in 1993 and 98, respectively. Minako Hamano, Kozue, Ishikawa, Kazumi Totaka. Let's go ahead and hit it. Welcome back. That was Dan Lawton's pick, Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening that came out on the Game Boy in 93 and the Game Boy Color in 1998 under the DX moniker. The track was Face Shrine, and it's by Minako Hamano, Kozue Ichikawa, and Kazumi Totaka. That was definitely everything that Dan said and more. Very haunting, like brooding track for a Zelda game.
1: Oh yeah, no, for sure. And the way that the like the track kind of just continuously fades in and out, getting like softer and louder, kind of adds to the uneasiness factor, which I really enjoyed. Even in the the newer game, it has some some of the similar qualities. And like Dan said, this is where things start to take a turn in the game. The I think this is one of the first bosses to actually like talk to you and try to confront what you're doing, like saying like Hey, you know." you may not want to actually continue on this path that you're on because you're not going to like what's going to happen and mm-hmm. i mean you don't really understand it until you get a lot farther but if i remember correctly and dan will probably let me know in the discord if uh, if i'm right or not but like this this is where things kind of just kind of take a weird turn
0: now i kind of understand the twin peaks kind of thing that they were maybe trying to go for with this game regarding that I have not beaten this game. I've gotten very far. I I got to, in the original DX version, I got to the final dungeon. And that's why I told you earlier, like, yo, beat it. Don't be like me. I think I still have my original save, and I think I have the original strategy guide that Nintendo Power put out for the original Link's Awakening, which I bought, like, I don't know, somewhere for, like, five bucks, like, back in the day. (laughs) All these years later, like, I kind of regret not beating this game. So I really need to sit down and, like, seriously beat this game.
1: Yeah, yeah, you should beat the Game Boy game first and then go and finish the Switch version. <laughs> like, yeah, that would be right. cool. Yeah.
0: That would be cool. That would definitely be a fulfilling, rewarding experience. In fact, I think that is what I'm going to do. But yeah,
1: no, I did beat this the original game, so like I'm not gonna leave this game on red or anything. But okay. yeah, it's as much as this is my favorite Zelda game and as much as I do enjoy it, I, I will always be somewhat unhappy with the actual ending, but Mm. I play the game, particularly the Zelda games, uh, similar to you. Like, I I don't want to look up the walkthrough or the guide or anything.
0: Right, But this
1: game actually makes it easy to do that in in some ways. Like, it, it doesn't give you the answer straight up, but Grandpa Urira, his hints are usually pretty straightforward like some, sometimes yeah. he's uh, he gives you some like weird stuff that you got to decipher but uh as we <laughs> heard earlier yeah but some, sometimes he's just like hey you got to go over here it's it's just north of this area and i'm like oh okay well i guess that's where i'm going so
0: right 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 yeah so we talked a lot about this game i don't think we need to dive too much deeper into it so i figured we'll go over the composer since we've been delaying it so <laughs> yes monaco hamano started off with link's awakening as her first game Worked with Nintendo for a long, long time. Super Metroid was primary or one of the composers on that. Metroid Zero Mission in 2004. Dance Dance Revolution Mario Mix in 2005. I mean, tons and tons of music on her plate. The final game that she's credited for is Hey Pikmin in 2017, and she's labeled under Sound Progress Management. For composing, I think Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is her last game. I know I know that was primarily David Wise, but I believe she was also involved in that as well.
1: Oh, no, okay. Mm-hmm. Next up is Kozue Ishikawa. They started off with... Zelda Link's Awakening in 1993, obviously credited again in 1998 for the the same thing, they did music composition in Wario Land, Super Mario Land 3 in 1994, that was a fun game, and then Famicom Bunko Hajimari no Mori in 1999 they did music, Uh, and then jumping up most recently they were credited for Star Fox 2. ...in 2019, even though that game was
0: made (laughs) way before that. Right. (laughs) 1995. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, Kazumi Totaka is our final composer on this game. Also known for Totaka's theme, which we've talked about in previous episodes. He started off with X in 1992. Speaking of uh, Star Fox, that's kind of the precursor to Star Fox. Also worked on Mario Land 2 Six Golden Coins in 1992... Link's Awakening in 93, Wave Race 64 in 96. He has been a prominent sound and music composer and designer for Nintendo, was really big on Luigi's Mansion in 2001, then worked on a bunch of the sports games for, like, voices and things like that. He's done, like, a lot of voices for a lot of Nintendo games as well. His final, or latest role is as sound director for Animal Crossing New Horizons, which came out on the yeah. Switch in 2020.
1: Nice, nice. So, I'm gonna lead us into our next pick here, which is gonna be The Legend of Zelda The Phantom Hourglass. This was the 2007 Nintendo DS release. The track we're gonna hear is The Great Sea, and it was composed by Kenta Nagata and Toru Minagishi. <laughs> Welcome back, XVGM listeners, from that Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass track. That was The Great Sea, which was from the 2007 Nintendo DS release, composed by Kenta Nagata and Toru Minagishi.
0: I have not played Phantom Hourglass, but the music from this was giving me serious Wind Waker vibes. I know the graphics are styled like Wind Waker, but definitely sounded like the music right from when you're in the sea with that talking dragon ship guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, my understanding is that's more or less how it is. So looking at the Zelda timeline, the, the official Zelda timeline, the Phantom Hourglass takes place in the same era as Wind Waker. Yeah, I can't, we I talked can't about this earlier. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we talked about Spirit Tracks being a, a sort of a sequel to Phantom Hourglass. I don't, right. I don't know if we went back to Wind Waker. Yeah, yeah I mean, so we said
0: that Wind Waker was the predecessor by 100 years. That
1: would be why it sounds
0: so much like that, mm-hmm. and I mean... To my memory, Wind Waker is the first
1: Zelda game where, like, y- you can go explore the ocean. Like, ev- every other game, like, you don't yeah. really go in the water. Or if you do, it's like you have, you have the flippers. You can go in the water, but you're not, like, traveling very far um, or, yeah. or really going
0: anywhere. It was the first Zelda game where you could point the ship in a direction and <laughs> go make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then come back, and you'll be close to your destination. And when I say that, I'm not joking. I literally did that.
1: No. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I think they tried to fix that in the remaster that they did. They did. Like make the travel quicker. But yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons that I never actually touched Wind Waker is similar to the Breath of the Wild thing. Like, the game is just too massive for me to really want to get into it. And this game felt similar. Like, there's a, like a huge... The, the world is a giant ocean, and it's yeah. just... There's, so far to go and then like i i saw friends play this game and literally just all i'm doing is holding the button down so that i can get across the world to the to the next destination i'm like that's yeah that's not fun to me so i'm glad they fixed it in the um remake yeah i'm not but-
0: sure how it is on phantom hourglass because I, again i haven't played it i felt similar regarding wind waker like i just absolutely hated the traversing and it gets even worse when you have to find those golden Triforce pieces. It's like forget it. So yeah, like you said, the Wind Waker remastered or remake HD or whatever it is supposedly fixed a lot of that stuff, which is great. That's good. That's mm-hmm. good.
1: I also have not played Phantom Hourglass. It looks like I have not played any of the games in the adult timeline where Ganon is sealed away, because <laughs> that's those are the three games that are on that part of the timeline. Right. But. The game itself looked pretty good. I have a friend who played both the Phantom Hourglass and the Spirit Tracks game, and they, they liked both of them from what I remember. Mm-hmm. they like the, the artistic style looked really cool. I just, at the time that this came out, there were, it was 2007, so it was a year after the Wii was, was released. I still wasn't really big on Zelda games at the time, and I just had other things going on. So I may go back to, to check it out because it looks kind of cool, and mm-hmm. the soundtrack to this game is actually great.
0: Yeah, this is kind of like that beginning of the era of way too much hand-holding in Zelda games, which ultimately was one of the reasons why I stopped playing a lot of Zelda games. I mean, I get it for newer, younger players, especially in the day and age now where there's no manuals in games. So I get wanting to have like an hour tutorial in a Zelda game, but it just completely kills my interest. Like I couldn't even go through Skyward Sword. Yeah, like I think I got through the training and was like, I'm just not having fun at all because the training just drained me. And so that was my biggest issue with these newer Zelda games that were coming out where they just spend like an hour going over like, okay, before you have fun, let me sit you down and tell you how to have fun. And I'm like, yo, no, let me just have fun on my own. So from what I understand, Breath of the Wild is more in line with that direction where you're basically dumped off, in a world that you have to explore on your own and you know the tutorial is is a lot less intrusive which is good i think that's a positive thing that if that is the case about breath of the wild uh, i do think that uh that that's a positive shift in the right direction
1: yeah no i I would agree with you Um, Mm -hmm. but the composers on this one i mean we've already talked about toru Minagishi. So, Kenta Nagata started out doing music composition in Mario Kart 64 in 1996.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a classic. Yes.
1: Yes. And then moved on to do all sorts of fun stuff for Nintendo in music composition. Pokemon Stadium, 1080 Snowboarding, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, Animal Crossing in 2002, Big Brain Academy in 2005. He did the music for Wii Music in 2008. Mm -hmm. Most recently, he is responsible for Sound Direction in Mario Kart 8 in 2014 and Deluxe in 2017.
0: Cool. All right, let's get into my final pick. This is from The Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds. This came out in the 3DS in 2013. This is a little bit more of a somber, sad song. Very pretty. It's called Princess Hilda Appears. And it's by Ryo Nagamatsu. And uh, for the rest of the soundtrack, Koji Kondo did the link to the past originals. Hey, you're back. That was Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds. That was the spiritual sequel to Link to the Past, my favorite Zelda. This came out on the 3DS in 2013, and this track was called Princess Hilda Appears, and it's by Ryo Nagamatsu, and uh, some of the tracks that were from the original Link to the Past game make it back into this game. They're arranged by Ryo. But uh, Koji Kondo was, of course, credited for those originals. Right, right. Yep. This is an original, though, this track, this Princess Hilda. That's mainly just because Princess Hilda is a brand new character. Before I get too much into the story, let's talk about the mm. track. I'm curious to know what you thought about this one.
1: So I have not played Link Between Worlds. I know bits and pieces, not a, not really enough. Like when I saw Princess Hilda, I was like, did they misspell Zelda? <laughs> but, uh, like that's a wild misspelling. This track yeah. was pretty, but it was also to use a word that Dan used for the face shrine, melancholic. It sounds Mm. like a song of either somebody accepting their fate, which isn't so great, or like something sad has happened. Like I get major Mm. sad vibes.
0: I can totally see that. And I do understand where you're coming from with that, especially playing the game and seeing the character and everything. It does kind of make sense a little bit. Kind of like somebody who's trapped between a rock and a hard place So I don't want to give too, too much away, but basically uh, Link Between Worlds is a spiritual sequel to Link to the Past. It is set in the same style of world that Link to the Past had, so in terms of the map and level layouts and everything. There are a lot of differences, though, between Link to the Past and this game. Uh, A lot of stuff had to be reworked to fit in with the world of Link Between Worlds. Basically, the plot is... You play as Link, and there's this sorcerer named Yuga who kind of looks like like a Raggedy Ann doll, at least in terms of the hair. Mm. They end up turning Link into a painting. Link has this bracelet that he got from this merchant named Ravio. And what Yuga was doing was she was turning all the princesses into paintings. She was going to turn Zelda into a painting, but ends up turning Link into a painting, And so Link has the ability to move through walls. That's the basics of it is Link has the ability to travel through walls. He can pop out of walls. He can go into walls and move around and it gets him into places that you couldn't normally reach in the world. But there is kind of like a dark world location. So in Link to the Past, you've got the light world and the dark world. Basically, once you finish the three dungeons in the light world, you get to go to the dark world to save all the princesses. So in this game, there are basically two worlds. So you have Hyrule, and then you have (laughs) Rule. So it's kind of like a mirror world of Hyrule, but everything's kind of topsy-turvy and everything. The princess of Rule is Princess Hilda, and this is her theme that you hear when you meet her. I really don't want to give too much away regarding Hilda, but what she does do is she tells you to rescue seven sages so that way you can gain the Triforce of Courage. One cool thing about this game is that it has a item system involving renting, and that is really cool. So instead of you hunting down all the items, you just go to Ravio and you go... Hey, I need this. He goes, okay, this is what I need from you in order to have that. Okay, great. Give me the rubies or whatever it is. And then you get it. When you die, you lose your items. So they go back to um, the store, and then you got to go back to the store to get them. Pretty cool. I really loved this game. Yeah. Ryo Nagamatsu, we talked uh, about about a little bit earlier. We don't need to talk about Konji Kondo. So I'll just mention three other games that Ryo worked on. Mm. He was part of the sound team on Splatoon 2. He also was the sound lead and music lead for the Zelda Triforce Heroes, the game that we're not talking about this time around, Mm -hmm. and uh, he also did the music for Super Mario Galaxy Two, back in 2010. So really good game. I highly recommend playing it if you haven't already. But uh, let's go ahead and get into the final pick of our Zelda Extravaganza. What do you got? All right. This is going to be The Legend of
1: Zelda: The Minish Cap. This came out in the Game Boy Advance in 2004. The track we're going to hear is Minish Woods, and it was composed by Mitsuhiko Takano. we Welcome back. That was the last track of this Zelda handheld-focused episode. That was Legend of Zelda The Minish Cap, the 2004 Game Boy Advanced game. The track was Minish Woods, and it was composed by Mitsuhiko Takano.
0: This is one of those Zelda games that I have zero experience with. I didn't actually get it until a year ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got a used copy off of somebody for, like, I don't know, 20 bucks or something, so... Uh, It's, uh, it looks really cool. And I remember seeing like the, the um, style of the game back in the day. It's kind of like a honey, I shrunk the kids, but with Zelda sort of thing, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the, the whole deal with this game, as you can kind of get the sense from the minish cap.
0: The, right. The,
1: the gimmick in this game, like with Link Between Worlds is like turning flat and going around walls and using yourself mm-hmm. as 2D. In this one, it's shrinking yourself. So Link finds this, cap called the Minish cap, and so instead of his normal, like, green cap, it's this thing, which is green, and it's got a little face on it. It's like a bird. Yes, exactly. It, it talks. Yeah. It's a little bit annoying at times. Like, this is the game that I, like, where I encountered Tingle and was just like, oh, I don't like that, and then they kept throwing that, <laughs> at me, and I was like, oh, I really don't <laughs> like that. <laughs> so... But I actually, I can't remember if I, if I completed this one or not. So I was in college when this came out. This was, I want to say, my junior year of college. I graduated in 2005. This is either, like, the end of my junior year or the beginning of my senior year. And I distinctly remember playing this on my Game Boy Advance SP in, like, the computer lab, like, in between computer science classes and stuff, uh, or just, like my dorm room or whatever and I I do remember having fun but I I cannot for the life of me remember the ending of the game and I'm wondering if that's because I got fed up with something and stopped playing it or if I lost it or what actually Mm. happened but I do remember enjoying the game overall like I wasn't a big fan of the Cap calls himself Ezlo and he just lives on your head like a bird hat type of a thing Mm. and I mean occasionally gives you like tips and hints uh, occasionally tells you that you're doing poorly he's he's a good character but it, he's just it was a very odd choice for this game but huh. the deal with this game aside from you know shrinking and growing is that the king of hyrule has chosen this version of link to find uh, this race of people called the Pikori because this evil i think is a sorcerer goes by the name of vati v-a-a-t-i has returned to to the land and is not doing great things as, you know, kind of like the Ganondorf of uh, of this game. Sure. And so you and the Hat, you know, go on your quest to find what's called the Four Sword uh, as opposed to the Master Sword, uh, Mm -hmm. which I think that actually connects back to Legend of Zelda Four Swords and Four Swords Adventure, which are two different games that involve the Four Sword. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... That's all I can remember off the top of my head. I know that there are, like, the the growing and, and shrinking thing, like, there are certain, like, objects that you have to use. I want to say it's, like, a a, a tree stump. But, okay. again, I'm, I'm I'm trying to go off of memory here. Uh, and, it's like, you, you use it and you get really small. And the, the Picori are also known as the Minish, which is why it's the Minish Cap.
0: Right. This one definitely feels less like a Nintendo game and more like, what we were talking about before, like a Capcom game, like a Breath of Fire kind of style soundtrack, at least based on this song alone. It's got a very like Whispering Woods kind of vibe, uh, but I got like a Squaresoft kind of uh, Capcom mix going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was developed by Capcom, so that that's a, there's a good reason for that. There um, you go. The, one of the reasons that I picked this track is just because it's, You don't get a lot of, like, relaxing tracks or, like, kind of easy listening tracks in the Zelda games outside of, like, towns uh, and whatnot. Like, your Mabe Village track was was very, very nice earlier. Mm -hmm. But this is one where you're, like, you're out, you're in the overworld, and... Uh, it's it's just not it's it's not an aggressive or like, anxiety-inducing track. It's just, you're a kid in the woods. And uh, yeah. I, I really appreciated that. Like, one of the things about this game is it, the, the colors in this, I remember being just brighter than what I'm used to in a Zelda game. Like, not mm-hmm. that the games are particularly dark, but, like, the... Just the colors that they used are very, very bright. Like, if you look at Link in-game, the green of his hat and his cloak, they're not muted or anything. They're, like, they're not quite neon green, but they're pretty close. Right, right. And it just, it, it has a very, like, kitty feel, which, uh, which is mm. kind of cool. All right, so who's the composer on this one? I don't know. No, no. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mitsuhiko Takano did this game, and they have uh, a number of interesting things here. So, they started out doing composition in 1992 on Super Tetris 2 plus Bombless, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool i definitely haven't played it but i've heard super tetris is a lot of fun and i didn't realize it was super tetris too. so they also did the composition on 1996's dragon ball z hyper dimension which is one of the first super famicom games that i got as a rom file when i started you know playing around with snes roms back uh, in like late high school early college okay so that, that holds a special place in my heart that's cool uh, also Marvel vs. Capcom 2 in 2000 music composition on that definitely a Capcom person though we move on to like Resident Evil Outbreak File 2 in 2004 Mega Man Star Force Pegasus Leo and Dragon all in 2006 Uh, and then moving on up they've Moved into more management, uh, audio or management, audio roles in 2019. They did, they were a manager for audio on Resident Evil Five Gold Edition, and then in 2019, they were cinematic sound coordinator on Devil May Cry Five.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, now we come to the end of the show where we pick our favorite tracks, and this is going to be a doozy. It's going to be tough. A hmm. lot of good stuff on this episode. Justin, uh, what's your pick?
1: Uh, I'm actually going to go with Dan Lawton's pick, The Faith Shrine from Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. I hadn't heard that in so long, and it, it's different enough from the remake version that it just kind of surprised me with, like, just how it, you know, kind of comes in and out and just kind of sets a very, like,
0: melancholy tone. Hmm. Okay. This one was tough because I, I had a lot of stuff that both you played and that I played and uh, even Dan's even Dan's pick that... Uh, all could be contenders. I think I'm going to avoid going with the nostalgic pick of Mabe Village. <laughs> so that'll be my number two. But I really loved revisiting spirit tracks with overworld adventures. It was the, I love that Spanish guitar, and it was just <laughs> like a lot of fun to listen to again. It uh, really reminded me that I need to get back to playing that game. But yeah, like I said, really tough because... I really wanted to go with that Mabe Village track, but I just I really didn't want to go with something nostalgic this time around.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I I, th- I think those are both really good choices. I mean, I think everything that we had here was uh, was a really good pick. Yeah. We uh, we we sourced some really nice tracks for this episode. All mm-hmm. just good Zelda things. I'm, I'm glad neither of us went with the intro. Although I, I did really like the title screen from Oracle Seasons. It's just yeah, like two on the two on the nose for, uh, for for a favorite
0: pick. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But we want to hear what your favorite picks are for this episode and what your least favorite picks are. Let us know in either our Discord or shoot us an email on the xvgmradio at gmail.com or just, I don't know, yell at us from the treetops. We'll hear you.
1: That's <laughs> true. Mm-hmm. We hear everything. Yeah. So we'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon patrons without whom this show's continued improvement would be impossible. They are Alex Messenger, Cam Worma, Chris Hart, Dan Lawton, Jordan and Anson Davis, Kung Fu Carlito of the Heroes 3 Podcast, Scott McElhone, Chris Myers, The Autistic Gamer 89, Brad Austin, Chris Murray, Jeremy Rutz, Lama Adam, Marcus Stewart, Nathan Cooper, Nick Davis,
0: and Ryan McPherson. If you would like to become a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash XVGM radio. There, you can see the different tiers as well. Just $1 gets you a thank you and access to our monthly live shows.
1: You can visit our website, xvgmradio.com, where you can listen to all the episodes and learn more about your hosts, as well as any of our guests or composers that we've had on the show.
0: If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always email us at xvgmradio at gmail.com. If you like what
1: you've heard, please consider giving us a review on iTunes.
0: You can join our Facebook group and chat with other VGM lovers at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash xvgmradio where we talk about everything from current game news to sharing awesome VGM tracks or just talking about the podcast itself. You
1: can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both those sites is at
0: xvgmradio. If you don't have any other social media or just want to try something unique, check us out on our Discord group chat. Links in the show notes. So, Justin, in two weeks, we're coming back for episode 74. What are we going to be talking about? So, in two weeks, we are going to be talking about spy games, espionage
1: games, games that involve spying or spies. Yes, that is <laughs>
0: such a wide scope, because it could be anything from Solid Snake to Spy versus Spy literally those are the two things that were in my head get out of my head Charles (laughs) you should have killed me when you had the chance (laughs) perfect but yes, Yes. so it's gonna be a lot of fun
1: uh I we have some great things lined up and uh, I think some things that might uh, might surprise people we'll find out
0: yeah no it's gonna be cool so in two weeks we'll see you but either way this is Mike and Justin signing off for XVGM radio Thanks for taking that trip with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thanking them, Justin, I, not you. Justin, you have to sit here and listen to me oh, complain. Oh, I wasn't and, responding
1: to you. I was just moving on with my uh, with the next thing that I wanted to say.
4: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Think so highly of yourself, Michael.
4: Uh, oh,
1: well, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I started playing the remake just because I was like, you know, I I bought it. I may as well play it. And I, you know, I was enjoying it. I had a lot of fun with it. And even my daughter was getting into it. We were both like I was showing it to her and she really liked it for a short while. Then when it got to the point where, like, my memory got a little fuzzy on where to go, which is right around, like, stage, like, Dungeon 4. I was like, ah, where do I got to go? What do I got to do? She was kind of like, ah, I'm bored. I want to play Sonic or something else. So, yeah. Dang. Get good, Dad. Well, I mean, she's 2, so she has the attention span, span of a she has the attention span of I don't know, I guess Sonic. <laughs> fair enough. Got to go yeah. fast. She's but. always begging for chili dogs, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah.